we want to spend, I want to say that we want to spend that time in prayer each time we get together because that's really where, where we connect to God, where we recenter ourselves each week. And so we come to Scripture and we come to what God has for us in Scripture through that lens of prayer, of centering ourselves around who God is and who, who he would have us be in the community. Uh, and so we've been, we've been looking through Paul's letter to the First Corinthians for the last few weeks. Um, and kind of the, the, big, the big title, the big, the big header of this whole series is, is looking at all of life through the lens of the gospel and un- understanding all the nooks and crannies and the way that the gospel actually causes us to, us to live and to, and to view each other and to view our community. And, and the very first week we talked about how this comes down to viewing things through the law of love, that that should be our guide and we're understanding uh, of how we should act, how we should be with people. And, and so what this letter has been, Paul, he, he, he planted the church and then he continued on his missionary journey and he's gotten this letter from Chloe and people in Chloe's household saying, hey, here's what's going on in Corinth. And some things are good, some things aren't so good. And, and so Paul writes this letter to address some questions that they had and address some issues that they had to kind of correct them and to encourage them. Um, and he does all of it by applying the centrality of Jesus and the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done to these questions. Saying that, listen, as, as we have questions, as we have correction, this isn't just about, hey, this is what Paul says, this is right, this is wrong. What we need to be asking ourselves is, are we reflecting Jesus and the good news of who he is and how we're living, how we're worshiping, how we're, how we're doing life together, that that's the basis of everything? And, and so we, we've gone through some of these issues, some of these questions that he's addressed, and then we get to 1 Corinthians 8, all right? And then Paul spends three chapters talking about meat. So that's where we are tonight, all right? We're talking about meat. But it, it's this question, what, what this question was about, it was about meat that was sacrificed to idols, which seems like a strange question because we don't have physical idols a lot of times. We'll hold up on the other part of that for a bit. Um, that's next week. But we don't have physical idols and we don't sacrifice meat to them. So what does it mean? Why is, why is it such a big deal that people are asking them about this meat that was sacrificed to idols? Well, so Corinth was a very, very religious town. It, it was a fast-growing town of the Roman Empire, and people there were very religious, and it was, it was covered with temples to the gods and the goddesses. Everyone believed that they helped control everything. So if you remember your Greek mythology and Roman mythology from back in school, this was the picture of Corinth. There was the temple to Artemis, there's the, or Diana in Corinth, and then there's a the temple to various gods. And these gods, and how they interact with these gods, it wasn't just this thing they did once a week. They thought it interacted with every bit of their lives. And so what happened is they would throw feasts to honor gods. They would sacrifice to honor the gods. And what would happen is they'd have these, this meat that was sacrificed during these big festivals and feasts honoring the gods. And then what was, ever left, was left over, they would sell usually to the grocery or the butcher that was right next to that temple. And some of those proceeds would go back to the temple, but that meat was a little bit cheaper as well. It wasn't just a regular butcher shop. It was what was left over from the festivals and the feast and, and temple use. And, and so this question, so meat sacrificed to idols was fairly plentiful. But the reason they asked this question was because it goes all the way back to the book of Acts and the Jerusalem Council. And you see, there was a question. Once the gospel started spreading to non-Jewish people, to Gentiles. 
there was this question was, well, do these people who didn't grow up Jewish, they're starting to follow Jesus, so if they're starting to follow Jesus, do they have to become Jewish as well? So does the 25-year-old guy who just started following Jesus, does he need to be circumcised at 25? So do they have to follow all of these rules in addition to following Jesus, or do they follow Jesus out of their own, own culture? And after their discussion, they, they decided that no, no Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, that they don't need to follow everything within the Mosaic Code, within the law. But they did say that two things they need to make sure to do. It's clear that they followed Jesus after hearing Peter and Paul's discussions. But they said, and this is specifically Acts 15, 29, they put two stipulations on the Gentiles. That they refrain from sexual immorality and they don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Mainly because the culture of that time, those were markers of participating and worshiping someone other than the living God. And whether it was prostitution in the temples or giving weight to the sacrifice to idols. And so they said, okay, they don't need to become Jewish, but here at least don't practice sexual immorality and don't eat food sacrificed to idols. And so Paul's left and, and they've had this legacy, but they start to have questions. And just to ask this question, can I eat food sacrificed to idols, you would think Paul would just write back, yes, or, or no. But it's a little more complicated than that. Because these are a lot of questions that are wrapped up in this question about food sacrificed to idols. And so some of those questions might be, you know, I, I spent my whole life worshiping these idols, but I've recently become a follower of Jesus. So is it okay if I just keep on doing what I've always done? Or maybe, you know, I'm a mature Christian, and I know that idols, they're not real gods, so the meat sacrifice to them is just meat, and it's no big deal, right? Or, or maybe, you know, I'm a new follower of Jesus, and I'm very passionate about it, and it seems wrong to eat the meat or even associate with those people, so I should avoid them and anything to do with them at all costs, right? Or, you know, my family and I, we don't... We don't have very much money, and the only meat I can afford is the meat that's unclean, has been sacrificed to idols. Is, is God okay with that? You see, the questions are, are, are complex, and so Paul doesn't give a quick yes, no. He gives something a little more, a little more complex answer. He doesn't answer it with a quick yes or a no, but he begins to answer it this way. This is 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So to start out, Paul is saying, before we even get into the yes or no, we need, we need to talk about something here. And that's kind of clear as mud right there. And I, I love, I was looking at different translations and different ways people brought this out. Um, I love the way that the New Living Translation um, handles this. It says it this way. It says, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. See, Paul, what Paul does, instead of just saying, yes, no, this is what it is, he reframes the question. He says the answer doesn't lie in just an objective answer. 
The answer doesn't just lie in me saying yes or me saying no. Is it right or is it wrong? But the answer lies in the relational response. Not what's logically accurate, but what's the loving response? here? What's the humble response here? And, and we see here in this response, the beginning of this response, something that Paul does throughout his letters, especially in 1 Corinthians. Because Paul, when he writes to them, when, when he answers these questions, what he does, he has one eye on the building up of the church, and he has one eye on the people outside of the church and how they might be brought in. And so when he answers, his answer is going to be, well, here's, we, his answer is that, well, we have to think about how this impacts the body that exists. Is this strengthening people? Is this building people up? But we also have to have an eye toward people that aren't part of the church, that aren't following Jesus now. How does this impact them? How does this tell the story of Jesus to them? How does this invite them into the family? And so he keeps that one eye on on each of those as he talks about and answers the question. And so here's kind of the main point of the beginning of his response. All right, and if you're taking notes, write this down. It's that we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to use discernment, respect, love, and a posture of humility in all that we do. As you're writing that down, I'll, I'll say it again. We have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to use discernment, respect, love, and a posture of humility in all that we do. That's the umbrella that, that Paul uses for, for this whole answer. So he says, listen, yes, this is about meat, sacrifice to idols, but I want us to go back and take a step back and say what's important is we understand our own humility, our own understanding. Knowledge isn't about how wonderful we are, but we approach it with humility and discernment and love for the building up of the church, not the puffing up of ourselves. And so then he, he goes on, verse 4. It says, Therefore, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and there is no God but one. For although they there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all thing, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. The food will not commend us to God, We will no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. What Paul is doing here, Paul is moving past the objective moral question of meat and idols and he moves toward motivation and impact on people. So the issue isn't the specific terms or the issues, but the difference between a self and an other-centered approach to life. Now, if you think about idols and think about this, there's, there's two missteps we can make. The first misstep we can make is to make an idol out of the rules and craving just this, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. What we can do, we can actually create an idol out of law, an idol out of the rules, and that crushes people. And so we say that, well, listen, we know what's right, and because I know what's right, It is my duty to make sure all others conform to my understanding of what's right. Irrespective of relationship, irrespective of anything else, that I know I am right, and therefore you need to know I am right, 
acknowledge that I am right. This is, um, I, listen, um, last week I used a lot of sports um, references, and I, I promised there would be no sports this week, and it would be all um, musicals and comic books and stuff. Um, so here it is, and, and Sarah's not even here to appreciate this, so I hope she's listening. Um, all right, but this is the character of Javert and Les Mis. All right, I know I had to explain who David Beckham was to people last week, so we'll explain who Javert is um, this week. All right, Javert, he's this police inspector, and he is one who, is, who says the law it will not be mocked. It, will, it never goes away. It is the pinnacle of right and wrong. There is no mercy. There is no fluctuation. You broke the law. This is the sentence. You do it. And that's it. And so what happens is Jean Valjean, who's the main character, um, he was in prison for stealing bread to feed a starving nephew. doesn't matter. It was the law. He did, he did the price. And so... What happens is Valjean breaks his parole and Javert spends his life trying to track him down. And he finds him one day after Valjean's risen to be mayor of a city and he says, oh no, you're this criminal, I'm going to take you back to jail. But um, Valjean at that moment, he's he's trying to care for for a woman who's sick and her child, but it doesn't matter to Javert. All that matters is the law. You broke the law. You have to serve the time. That's all that matters. It does not matter the other consequences. It doesn't matter who might be depending on you. It doesn't matter what might happen to other people. This is what's right. You do what's right. Since you've done what's wrong, you pay the price. And that, that is his entire outlook on life. That he worships the law. He misses people and he misses opportunities for mercy because all that matters is the law. So, so much to the fact that during the student rebellion in the, in, in the play in the book, that he's captured and he's given to Valjean, this guy he's hunted, this guy who, who's, who's, who he's made his life miserable. He's had to run his whole life from him. And Valjean, instead of exacting revenge and killing him that, in that moment, he shows mercy and lets Javert free. And so Javert is sitting there in the debt of a thief, in the debt of a criminal. He owes his life to someone who he spent his life trying to imprison, and he can't handle it. Because the law is the law, and, and nothing can break that. So he ends up killing himself because he can't live in a world in which he was shown mercy by a criminal. You see, Javert, he, he worshipped the law. All his idol was the rules, that, and that's all that mattered, and that crushed other people. There was no room for mercy. There was no room for grace. It was just the law. And so what, we ha- what happens when we make an idol of the law, we begin to divide the entire world into the rule followers and the rule breakers. We begin to divide the entire world into the good and the good guys and the bad guys. And and we all define ourselves as as the good guys because we have the right rules. Our understanding of the rules is perfect. We have the right thoughts about God and to the point that someone agrees with us or follows our understanding of the rules, then they're good. And Paul speaks of this knowledge, that, uh, of a knowledge that it puffs up. It makes us feel big, but it doesn't build. And so he has a caution to humility to see and to, and to love the person. He says what builds the church is love. Now, there's a, a misstep on the flip side of that as well. Because we can make an idol of the law, but we can make an idol of freedom. 
And just as making an idol of the law can crush others, making an idol of our freedom can crush others as well. Because what we say is, listen, I can do what I want. It doesn't matter. I have complete freedom. It doesn't matter what I do. I can do whatever I want regardless of its impact on other people. That, listen, I have my rights. I know what my rights are. And I want my rights regardless of what it does to other people. And I want them regardless of what it does to others. Listen, this is the situation that Paul is talking about here. He's saying, yeah, listen, meat, it's nothing. You're free to eat meat. It's fine. But don't make an idol of your freedom to do whatever you want and crush other people in the process. Because what happens is love, if we apply the law of love to this, the law of love that builds, that love may call us to surrender our personal rights in the interest of someone else, in the interest of a communal need. And Paul goes on in the next chapter of, his, of what he's been doing in, in Corinth. He says, listen, as an apostle, as someone who, who, what the church is at that point, who kind of worked for the church, who, who spreads the gospel, listen, I have a right that you guys help support me. Look, in the temple, the priests, people bring food, they, they, they get supported. And that's my right as an apostle. But listen, I don't exercise that. I came, I worked so that nobody could say I was doing this just for money. If we read a little bit about some of the divisions and factions within Corinth, it seems some people came in and they had great rhetorical skill and they were using that to get rich off the church because they, they used the language. And he says, listen, this isn't about me getting things for myself. Although if I wanted to, I had demand that y'all, y'all pay and help me live for this. But that's not why I'm here. I, I, while that's my right, I'm going to lay that aside so that people might actually hear the message I'm bringing. That people might actually not stumble because they say, I'm sinning from me. They might hear the story of a God who laid aside rights for us to be reconciled to God. So Paul talks about this, and listen, Paul, he's not prepared to sacrifice personal freedom for just a petty reason, but he's more than willing to freely give up those rights for the good of others. He's more than willing to give up those rights so that people might actually be invited into this family and understand this good news of who, of who Jesus is. So I want us to look at his attitude. Um, halfway through ch- chapter 9, verse, um, verse 19, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, well, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Um, another translation says that I may be their partner in the gospel's benefits. He's saying, listen, who I am, this whole endeavor, it's not about me. It's not about per- per- protecting my own privilege. It's about actually going to people and hearing people, understanding people, being the guest in their sphere, whether it's the Jewish culture, whether it was the Gentile culture, whether it, w- it was the culture of people to be a guest there, to, to, to go to them, to say, here, I'm in this space I'm submitting and I am your servant here 
so that you might understand this good news of what Jesus is doing and has done, has done for you. It goes on to say, in the next chapter, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Jump down to verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So here's, here's what he's not saying, because you can read this last little bit and say, dude, people-pleasing is the way to go. As long as I just make people happy, then I'm doing my job, because people like me, and that's what's important. Listen, that's not what Paul's saying, and if you read through the life of Paul, that's not what happened, all right? Paul made a lot of friends. He made a lot of not friends, as well. But he's saying, listen, what I'm doing, this isn't about me and my own personal gain. He says, listen, when, when, when I'm talking about the gospel, when I'm living amongst people, yes, I'm free. But I'm going to limit that for myself, for the benefit of people around me, for the glory of God. And so, <laughs> through all of this discussion of meat and idols, he says, listen, whether you eat or drink, you do it to the glory of God. There are times when you get invited over to someone's house and they put meat in front of you, you don't even know if it's, if it's sacrificed to idols or not. In a situation, you can start to question and interrogate him to see where this meat came from to make sure that you observe this rule. Or you can love your neighbor and accept the hospitality that they give so that you might speak to them. You know, um, it, it all comes down to, are you loving the person? And are you sharing the, the incredible good news with them as you speak to them? Are you eating, are you drinking in a way that glorifies God? Or are you doing it in a way that glorifies yourself? Because listen, when, if you go to someone's house, you're like, I can't eat that. I'm vegan. All right? Is that about you or is that about them? Now, if you, if you say we're getting together and like, hey, I have an allergy to fish, so can we have something else? That's fine beforehand, but if you just show up, and you're like, oh no. You're having wine with dinner. I'm going to take my kids home because they can't be around that. That's not about love for someone else. That's, that's about you. That's about your own self-righteousness. That's about going back and making an idol of, of loss. The, the flip side, though, when you're saying, hey, whatever I want to do, I can do, because it doesn't matter. I'm free in Jesus. I can do whatever I want, but you don't care about what, what's happening on with someone else. That's not love. That's just love of self. And so if your favorite thing to do is, is going out to the bar on a Friday night where it's gorgeous and sitting on the patio, um, that's great. You're free to do that. But when your friend who's in recovery wants to hang out with you, and that's the only way you'll, you'll hang out with them is if they come join you at the bar on the patio on, on Friday, that's not loving. That's about you. That's saying, no, you can only exist in my already, the framework of what I want to do. And so there's this, this, the goal of all of this 
It says, listen, it's not that I please everyone. I'm not a people pleaser, but it's about not seeking your own advantages, not seeking your own privileges, not asserting your own freedom, but it's being others-focused rather than self-focused. Because the goal of all of this, the goal in everything Paul is saying, or the goal is the wholeness of the people around us. The goal of all of this is the wholeness of the people around us. Am I, am I willing to sacrifice some freedom, some comfort, so that others might be whole, so that others might be restored? So, so individually, am I, am I willing to sacrifice time? Am I, am I going to be willing to, to possibly be offended so that, that I can listen to someone and connect them to who Jesus is? You know, communally, am I willing to give up some of my privilege to display compassion and to display the kingdom of God? Paul wraps this up by, by saying in 1 Corinthians 11, just that first verse, simply, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Listen, that, that, that's what it boils down to. Paul says, look, and this, this is what I've done while I've been with you, but ultimately, we're imitating Jesus. We're displaying Jesus in what we're doing. And so if he's imitators of me as I am of Christ, so what happens is so that we sacrifice so that others might have a restored relationship to God and a restored relationship to other people. That that's our goal. That we live with the impact we have on others in mind. And so when we see people who, who are broken, and whether that's an individual brokenness just based on sin in, in their life, whether that's work on circumstances, are we going to give up our privilege to reach out to them so they might be whole? To display the grace and mercy that God's been given us so that they might know who God is. When we see people that are wrapped up in systems which can certainly push them down, are we going to be ones that, say, that stand up and say, hey, I'm going to speak on their behalf? I'm going to speak for them, regardless of what that might mean personally for me. Am I going to risk my privilege? Am I going to risk my status so that people that don't have it might know love, might know wholeness? You see, this whole idea of imitating Jesus is one that says that we set aside freedom, we set aside rights, we set aside privilege to live for others. To sacrifice ourselves for others. Listen, this is what, this is what one of the beautiful pictures of, of communion is. And we celebrate it every week because we want to remember, we want to commemorate the fact that we have life because of Jesus' death. That the reason we have hope is because God stepped out of privilege, died for us, rose again so we have new life to create new humanity that begins to fix all of this, begin to repair what's in us and, and connect us to God, begin to repair what's happening in creation. So we remember that that is where life comes from, but we also remember that that's what we're called to as well. Because as Paul says in the Corinthians, listen, we, we, we break one loaf, we're, we're unified in this. That we're called to, to be the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is a picture of a body that's broken for, so that others might live. 
So this week, how do we set aside privilege? How do we set aside selfishness? How do we set aside pride? How do we set aside knowledge that puffs up to live the law of love? To invite those people within our spheres into this family of God that they might know wholeness. To stand up for those that are being crushed rather than being crushed by us. Let's pray.